What is up, people, and thank you so much for listening in to this edition of the New Generation Sports Talk Podcast. I'm your host, EJ Stewart. We got a great show lined up for you guys today, of course. We'll be talking about the NBA Finals, which are underway. Game 1 wrapped up yesterday between the Lakers and Heat. It was a dominant performance by the Lakers. We'll talk more about that game and how we anticipate the rest of the series uh, moving forward. We'll also be talking about some of the stuff going on with Major League Baseball. We have uh, just a a new thing happening with the 16-team postseason that American League uh, division series is now set after the, the eight teams in that league squared away uh, their game. So uh, we'll talk about what we thought about the Major League Baseball season. We also have, going back to the NBA, major coaching hire and a major coaching firing all happened <laughs> within uh, within the week's time. Um, so we'll give you the latest on that as well. So it should be a good show. We'll talk some football at the end of the show. Joining me is my co-host, Kendall. Kendall. I, I got to say, I, I got to start this show with a, a player. First of all, my condolences, by the way. I know you're Celtics. You know, last week you, you didn't seem to have much panic about the Celtics positioning after being down 0-2. And while they did show some fight to make it a series, uh, they did not advance to the finals. First of all, I'm sorry that that uh, did not go as well for you as you would have hoped. Can't wait for uh, the draft. <laughs> That's all you got to say? Just, you just looking ahead? Check out the, 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 the virtual draft war room video on the Celtics. If you want to hear my thoughts on the Celtics draft strategy. You got to get the people a little bit about what you thought about the Celtics conference finals performance. I saw Danny uh, said today that he thought that Kemba wasn't 100% right, which I think was obvious. But Danny Ainge speaks for me in all respect when it comes to the Celtics strategy. No, but... um. Yeah, I mean, look, the Celtics—they weren't great. Uh, that goes without—that goes without saying. Uh, Tatum didn't play as well as he did in February when the season shut down. So that's one thing that that was that went against them. Uh, Gordon Hayward was not right. That goes without saying. Uh, so that's another thing that went against them. Kemba didn't look right. That's another thing that went against them. So Marcus Smart played great. Although Jalen Brown played really well. Um, and Daniel Tice can't match up with Bam Adebayo. Daniel Tice is very serviceable against, you know, 80% of the bigs in the league because 80% of the bigs in the league are guys like Daniel Tice. But right. um, but when he faces the elite of the elite, he actually did a better job in, on, on Embiid than I think we could have asked for. But Bam Adebayo, uh, who was on a better team than Embiid was, obviously. Um, but... Bam Adebayo had a much easier time with Daniel Tice than he probably should have. Uh, so and to look, be fair, even Embiid put up numbers. It's just the team just was not competitive. Yeah, Embiid did put up numbers. Um, so yeah, I mean, I uh, so those are all the things. Those are all the reasons why they lost this series. I mean, the Tyler Hero thing, which we'll talk about Tyler Hero. Um, we talk about this this finals, but the Tyler Hero emergence, as much as. Uh, I talked about him pre-draft, much as, uh, you know, EJ knows, even off-camera. I was probably higher on him off-camera than I was on-camera, but um, whatever that means. <laughs> but but, uh, but still, um, no matter how much I like Tyler Hero pre-draft, there's no way I could have expected he would have done what he did against the Celtics. And it was a little embarrassing as a Celtics fan, watching this, this guy, uh, you know, just do all these things on the court against what you think are some of the best perimeter defenders in the league. So it was tough. 
But yeah. again, under the draft season, I I've seen the Celtics win a championship before, so it's not like uh, we're fighting some drought. Jesus, you know, getting yeah. to the finals has been yeah. a while. Jesus, yes, uh, you're triggering me over here. Talking about you seen the championship. Right. I, I mean, Jesus, I don't even think my I mean, my dad he was old enough when they won the championship. I don't know if he were. I guess he was probably like he probably remembers the second one. He's probably too young to remember the first one. Yeah. So, you're talking about multiple generations where we really haven't seen a Knicks championship. So, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I just want to see us all these battles. That was triggering. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, and I know I'm going on a tangent because there's an original tangent I wanted to get on, but really quickly, I sent you and Dad and everybody. Uh, Carmelo was on um, JJ Reddick's podcast. Shout out to JJ Reddick. Um, anybody doing this kind of podcast thing and doing it well, which I think he is. Um, I always want to give a shout out to. Um, they had a really interesting discussion with Melo. Seems like it was very expansive. Um, I thought Melo. They. I only saw a blurb of Melo talking about like the blame he got for the Knicks' failures, which I thought he sounded. Um, I'm trying to be nice here. Uh, I thought he sounded a little like he was. I, I felt like it was very much like I have an issue, and it's going to go lead to where I'm going to go with the next topic. But I have an issue right now with, like, I think basketball players particularly just manipulating the narrative of the situations that they've been in, whether it be currently or in their careers. And he kind of said something on the lines of, like, yo, man, I had, like, 200 teammates when I was with the Knicks. Why does everybody blame me for everything that happened? And to me, it's just it's just a, a, a very rose-colored way of looking at Carmelo's time with the Knicks, which is very nuanced. I'm not one of these people that says it was all Melo's fault and he didn't get it done. And at the end of the day, he's the reason why they, they didn't they didn't do what they were supposed to do. Um, but at the same time, I also think that, like, yes, there are tangible things you could absolutely point to that were his fault that did contribute to the Knicks being mediocre during that seven, eight year run, however long he was there with the Knicks. But so I, I'm curious. I didn't I, I'm curious to kind of look further into that aspect of the interview. But I did see. Um, a different aspect where he was talking about the triangle offense and he talked about what it was like playing, uh, you know, talking with Phil Jackson through it and, and, and what happened with it. And I just think that I suggest anybody go and check it out. I don't want to, you know, spoil it for anybody, but he kind of, um, went down into like why he thought the triangle could have been successful and basically why it wasn't. And a lot of it stemmed from one Phil Jackson, not coaching and two, uh, the wrong personnel being on the team. Which I thought was interesting. I really was kind of... And I think even JJ, if you watched the interview, was waiting for him to eventually be like, yeah, the triangle was trash and therefore we couldn't win with this. He kind of never goes there. He does say that playing with it for 48 minutes was just like really hard considering what they were trying to do. But it was just like... To me, you know, I love like basketball. To me, this was like an advanced class in terms of basketball talk. This wasn't kind of the nonsense barbershop. And I love barbershops and barbershop talk, don't get me wrong. But it wasn't the kind of, like, very remedial kind of talking about the game. This was kind of an advanced class on why certain schemes work and why certain schemes don't work given certain circumstances. And I just suggest anyone check it out. I just thought it was uh, really insightful. But the the real tangent I did want to get on before we get to the finals, Kendall, is um, Kyrie Irving. Because Kyrie Irving, today, we're recording this on Thursday, Seems to have ruffled some feathers because of some comments he made on Kevin Durant's podcast. So I'll, I'll give a shout out to Kevin Durant as well, who's doing podcasting as well, just like J.J. Reddick. He's doing the boardroom 
podcasting. I guess he had Kyrie on as his guest. Um, and during this conversation, there were two comments that raised eyebrows. The first one being, he doesn't see the Nets really having a head coach, which I don't even know really what to make of that. But in the comments, he said, I don't really see us having a head coach. KD could be a head coach. I could be a head coach. Uh, it's a collaborative effort was what Kevin Durant said. Um, and they both named like Jock Vaughn could be a head coach. Which, that to me, I, I've, it's just kind of ridiculous, first of all. I'm sure I can imagine Steve Nash enjoyed the idea of them saying that, you ain't the real head coach, I'm the head coach. Which is probably true. Like, as crazy as that sounds, like that's pro- like those guys probably have just as much clout over the locker room as Steve Nash does. And I don't know if he likes them saying Jock Vaughn has just as much clout. But um, that, to me, seemed like a bizarre statement. But then the one that's even getting more... Uh, raising more eyebrows is when he said that Kevin Durant's the only player that he's seen, that he's played with, that he looks at and says, wow, yeah, late in games, that guy could hit those kind of shots that I can hit late in games. Totally forgetting he's playing with, like, you know, he played a lot of years with the best player of the generation by far, LeBron James, who's hit clutch shots before with Kyrie Irving. And then he went on some crazy, and that wasn't crazy, let me be fair. It was a bizarre Instagram rant about, you know, how he he's people are pitting brothers against brothers. And if he has something to say about something, he will mention them. But this is all clickbait. But then it's really weird because it's the boardroom and ESPN does the boardroom. Well, they don't do the boardroom, I guess. But no, not anymore. That's fair, so I won't say that. But anyway, it's, I mean, Kevin Durant and them wanted the, the clicks for the interview. Yeah, the Durant media engine. Right, Durant is the media engine that they're talking about. So I kind of didn't get that. But even so, like, how, how do you say something so... It's so obvious that when you say something like Durant is the only player that I look at, that I play with, that can hit the kind of shots I can hit late in games... And then when people say, well, what about LeBron James? You say, oh, you're, you're a clickbait. You're trying to just put pit brothers against brothers. Like, I, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, what annoys me about this era, Kendall, is you have these players who will say these outrageous things to, to, uh, to again, manipulate narratives. And then when you call them out on it, like Kyrie and Durant are like one of the first guys to be like, oh, you guys don't know anything about basketball. You guys don't know anything about sports. Like, and it's like, you can't say outrageous crap and then complain about fans and media members not knowing the game. To say that Kevin Durant's the only kind of player that can hit late game clutch game shots, like, come on. That's an outrageous statement. You can come back and say, oh, well, you know what? Like, obviously LeBron is someone. And, even if he spun it and said, oh, like, I, obviously, I know, you know, guys, I think LeBron can do it, too. You guys are making something out of nothing. That even I could say, okay, well, at least I get the media spin. It's ridiculous, but I, I know what's happening. This is just kind of like a gaslighting that's, like, really weird to me. No? Is it weird to you? I mean, you know Kyrie well. He was on your team. But it's weird to me. I found this very weird. Uh, yeah, look, I thought the comments... I, well, one as a Celtics fan, I was I was more pissed off to find out today that uh, Durant had said last week 
that, or I don't even know if it was last week, it might have been like yesterday, or it might have been the same podcast. I think it was on the podcast, yeah. It was on yeah, the same podcast. But Durant said uh, the thing about how they were, they had planned this, they, they had finalized this at, on All Star Weekend, at All Star Weekend, and that, um, that video of them talking in the in the lock in the in the tunnel um, was them kind of finalizing those plans, <laughs> uh, and that they got caught. Because um, then it was funny because then that's when that's when Kyrie was getting all defensive afterwards in the with the Boston media about screw. Yeah, that's screw what me. I can't stand about. That's what I can't stand about both of these guys is it's yeah, like it's, it's, they go they 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 they, they, will, they will go scorched earth against. Media members reporting the stuff they do. Yeah, yeah, it's very, uh, it's very, it's very uh, presidential. Is all I'll say. <laughs> but, um, but no, it, what what I but what I will say is that um, I actually with, with the Kyrie and the, the LeBron thing, I actually I don't blame Kyrie. You know, Kyrie, who he is, what he is. You know, he's gonna say things that obviously are gonna be bizarre and could be construed a certain way that maybe he meant it that way maybe he didn't um sometimes i think we think he's i don't say we think he's smarter than he than 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 we give him credit for but like or we think he's dumber than we give him credit for like, i think he i think he knows what he's saying just because like i the, think he's smart is why i think that what he's doing is ridiculous right and if i thought he was like, dumb i wouldn't think this was that ridiculous like I think he is trying. I think I think he is trying to 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 poke the bear. Like I, he's not he's not dumb. Like I think I don't think he like misspoke or like forgot about LeBron. I but he's gonna get defensive about it once people talk about it in the media. But what I will say is I don't blame Kyrie in this sense. I blame whoever that was that asked the question. The hosts, I guess Durant was on there. Whoever the other guy was that was on there, I blame them because when Kyrie makes that statement. Because you asked the question. The guy asked the question, who's taking the shot last 10 seconds, tie game. When, once you ask that question and, LeBron, and Kyrie goes on to say that this is the first time in his career, blah, 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 then you have to follow up and say, what do you, you know, what about LeBron? You know, what about Bron? Is that, is, you know, where does he fit in this mix? Like, you have to make Kyrie explain himself because he doesn't. Then you are sitting there. This is a man that, but this Kendall, this gentleman, I'm assuming it was a gentleman who was with them, is a paid Kevin Durant employee. Right. He, I don't, he's, a, he's not trying to give LeBron any right. additional out here. Right. He's a paid Kevin Durant employee, but that's the that's to me that's the problem. Is I think there it's a self-inflicted wound because you're on your platform. Now Kyrie isn't completely engaged in that, but you know I don't know what the deal with Rock Nation and. 35 Ventures and Durant right. and stuff. There's some, clearly some sort of connection. And Kyrie's on that platform. It doesn't help anybody for this to be a, a controversy. So let Kyrie explain himself now so that you don't, so that we can avoid it. Because Kyrie can then say, oh yeah, LeBron, I mean, Brown's another guy. You know, I think Durant might actually be on another level when it comes to those shots, but LeBron's a guy that, you know, occasionally was able to hit those shots as well. Like, I, you gotta. That's my. Right, and and I and I agree. I just and I'm again. I'm not trying to diss whoever is in that position. Like again, you're being paid by the guy who is saying that Kyrie saying is better at clutch shots than LeBron. So I'm not sure if you're going to be the one. Journalistically, interview, good interview wise, of course, that's the follow up question. 
But in that position, you're sitting next to $120 million, $120 million, $140 million a year, $150 million a year. Um, and one of the guy employs you. It's just a hard position to be in. I'm just, I'm just going to keep it a buck. But I guess where I blame Kyrie is just like, it's, to me, it's just the gaslighting that comes after. My thing is, yo, I disagree with that completely. And I don't think really, I don't think you really believe that. I think you believe that you probably have more confidence that the Red can hit those shots. But I don't think you think that this is the only guy you thought that could hit shots that you can hit. That, that's, that's ridiculous. I don't think that you think that. But to me, like, again, Kyrie thinks we're all idiots. He says it often. So explain it to me. Okay, well, we took it this way. Explain to me what you were trying to say then. Because if you tell me this is the only guy I've played with that I thought, wow, this guy can hit shots like I can hit. All right, well, like any person that cares about this game and does any critical thinking, like all you do is just think, oh, wow, well, who else has he played with? And it's like like the idea that he like makes it some like, like it's some like, you know, like morally, you know, bankrupt thing to leap to the idea that, well, that means he thinks LeBron can't. Not only is not as good a player as Kevin Durant, like, but not as good a player as you. That's like, not that's not a leap. That's crazy. Like, and then he makes it sound like it is. And, and that's I'll, that's the gaslighting I don't understand with this guy. I was talking to our brother Henry, and obviously very good basketball mind, and we were he talking is. about yeah. these these comments, and he was like, you know, because I the first thing I thought was like everybody jumps to LeBron, but we got to look at like what I mean, Jason Tatum, he played with, played with. Gordon Hayward, he's played with Kevin Love, like he's played with other all-star players. That because he didn't say Kevin Durant's the best option I've ever had. He said Kevin Durant's the only, the first player he's ever played with that he looks at and says this guy is the only guy that I think would be a good shot, basically. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. Like I mean, Jason Tatum's hit big shots in his career before playing with Kyrie. Yeah, play, or playing without him when Kyrie was injured. Since his rookie year, he's hit big shots. So it, it's. To me, like, I mean, just the disrespect. And then Henry brought up, what about even the guys on the Nets that's names aren't Kevin Durant? Like, these guys were out here playing with him this just this past season. And it was Kyrie. Now, again, obviously, like, Karis is not Kevin Durant. No one's no, saying. No, let's make that clear. Yeah, exactly. No one's saying that, you know, Garrett Temple is Kevin Durant or Jared Allen is Kevin Durant. But, like. But that, that's the, that's always been the part of, that Kyrie never understood is, you know, social dynamics. He just yeah. ne- he's never understood. He's a, he's an individual sport athlete playing a team sport. Well, and, that's the thing, Kendall. Yeah. And Kyrie now he's got Durant. He looks at it as it's, as like, oh, I'm a tennis player, but now I'm playing doubles. <laughs> I'm not playing singles. That's anymore. what I was gonna say. Is that to me, you know, and I guess we'll leave it here. I just think that Kyrie. The Nets are going to be a very fascinating team to watch next year. Obviously, because Kevin Durant's on the team now. But the 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 leadership style I've seen from KD and Kyrie particularly, but even I'm going to throw KD in there too for how they're approaching this Nets season, is really interesting. Combustible, man. Yeah, I mean, I thought K- I like that KD in this podcast did say, you know, having a guy like Nash is going to make. Other offensive players like myself. And then you mentioned Karras. And you even mentioned Torian Prince. But I was just like, okay. But I was like, see, that, but to me, it may be cap, but that actually shows some leadership. Because every time, because every time Kyrie, and Kevin Durant gets in this trap too a little bit, but every time Kyrie talks about this team, 
he kind of talks about it like it is just a two man team. Like, yeah. like he doesn't about talk about it like it's an actual team. And or he talks about it like old guys and young guys. Where he's like, right? It's it's know, it's just it's not as inclusive. Got, like, you got guys like me, Durant, or me, Kev. You know, DJ Garrett. You know, we can we can, we know how to win games. It's like, yeah, you know, he just. I'm, it, I'm yeah, he just—he has a weird way of talking about this team and his role on this team as a leader. I know <laughs> he's done it everywhere, and maybe I shouldn't—I just shouldn't be surprised or concerned about it. But I think this next thing can go a lot of different ways. I think that most people kind of look at this team as okay; they'll probably be really good. They'll probably make the playoffs, and they'll probably go deep in the playoffs. Who knows how deep? Are they championship good? Maybe because they have two amazing players, but we don't know. Or, <laughs> or it may go a really different way. And talent in this league, a lot of times, kind of can mask a lot of things. But at a certain point, like we saw the Clippers this year, poor leadership and poor whatever, just it, it's unavoidable at a certain point. And I saw what the net looked like with Kyrie this year. Cause that's the thing too is that we can like I've seen his act with this team and how they play with him and how they react to him and maybe not necessarily in them like how they act in terms of like their comments in the media or anything they're not sniping at him but just how they kind of respond to his leadership style it wasn't good it was not good I don't think any net fan could look at that and say objectively that it was good maybe you say okay well when Durant comes back it's not going to matter as much. And I would say you you could be right. I'm not taking that off the plate off the plate at all, especially because I think Kevin Durant is probably a better leader than Kyrie Irving. But man, I think to me, I think this is we talk about KD in terms of the player. I think the net success is also going to ride heavily on KD as a leader. KD has to be the unifier. If KD gets into this trap. Of being making this the two man show, the the two man power trip, as we say in wrestling with Triple H and Stone Cold Steve Austin back in the day. Um, I don't know. I don't think this could work with this roster currently constituted. I think you maybe you get rid of a lot of these guys and you get some true, either another like big megastar or like a true role player kind of dude that can live off of this. Like when the Lakers traded Nick Van Exel and Eddie Jones, like it like the Lakers really became the two man power trip with Shaq and Kobe. But like they could kind of take it because no one else on the team had any say or any stake in the game. But what also helped make that work was having Phil Jackson to manage those personalities. And then you hear Kyrie saying, we don't need a coach. Like, I don't know, man. I, I'm just, this is going to be very, very interesting. Last thing I will say is, and I, I personally want to say one more thing about the coaching thing. I'll be honest. I felt a way about Kyrie saying that, or one of them guys saying that Jock Vaughn could be the coach when he's not the coach. Because as soon as Nash got hired, the first thing we kept talking about is another, you know, white man is, you know, moonshotted up to the position of a head coach without any experience. When Jock Vaughn, who was coaching the team in the interim, did a very good job in the interim time he was there, got a look but then didn't get the job. Which, fine, that happens. Jock Vaughn's track record as a head coach before the season, not that great understandable but i don't want to hear you you know and i'm gonna keep it 100 you wouldn't want to be guys talking about how don't go to the bubble we need to have 
unity behind this. We need to, to you know, stand up for our black people, which I supported you and I was 100% behind you on that. But I don't wanted you to be that guy and then say, yeah, the black guy could have been the head coach, but eh, we still went with Nash. And we really don't need any of those guys. Like, if you're telling me Nash is that irrelevant in the scenario, then maybe you should have pushed to get a black guy in as a head coach. Maybe that's just me. I don't know. Maybe I'm tripping. Maybe the audience think I'm tripping. But I don't want to hear you telling me Jock Vaughn could very well be this head coach of the team this year in certain instances. I don't even know what that means. But you didn't vouch for him to be the head coach, but you were okay with Steve Nash being uh, shot to the moon to get the job. That is, something doesn't sit right with me with that. Um, and it just, it just, it's just how I feel. Um, but, Kendall, quickly, let's talk about the NBA Finals. So, the Lakers, led by as much as 30-plus points in their Game 1 demolition of the Miami Heat. They looked as strong as they've looked all playoffs in that Game 1. While the Heat left the game battered and bruised, uh, and worse, you could argue, uh, Goran Dragic, torn plantar fascia. I don't know how he's going to try to play on this thing. I mean, it's one of those injuries that I understand that it's really kind of just a pain threshold thing. But that's a serious injury. And usually that's a good month off, probably, and at least. And, and they're saying he may try to come back in this series. And then Bam Bio has what they're calling a neck strain. I think he has something way worse going on with his shoulder. That's me being someone who has a history of shoulder injuries. Um, but, again, I'm not a doctor. I'm just going by what they're telling us. Both guys did not finish the game. Jimmy Butler had an ankle turn. I'm not as concerned about that, but, you know, it is a re-aggravation re- re- of an older injury. Kendall, is this series over? Because, look, for the record, I posted on Twitter, I thought the Lakers would win this game in six, though I did really think about a heat upset. But I could not go that far. So I said Lakers in six. I, don't, I, I feel like this could be done very very soon but i don't know the heat have been a very um very remarkable team they've been a very uh resilient team so am i selling them short here uh i mean i feel confident this is gonna be a five game series um you know i've could it be four i mean sure if the heat can't figure anything out um but it's hard to sweep a team um, there haven't been many sweeps in this, uh, bubble at all. Um, I feel like, th- I feel like this, this, uh, this Heat team, I, we, we gotta give them the respect that they, that they deserve to say they can get, they can win one. Um, but I don't know, maybe that's just a Celtics fan of me not wanting to see, uh, the Lakers sweep a team that we couldn't beat. We couldn't even get to seven games. <laughs> with. Uh, but I don't know. I like to think that this team, that Tyler Hero won't all of a sudden stop, uh, stop making shots, and that uh, you know, uh, that's so weird. That's just a weird way to think about it because to me, like, it can go both ways. Like, I like, like, I could also, but I also feel like I could be one of those people again. Knicks haven't been in the playoffs in a long time, but like, if a team beat me, I wish them no success at all. I want them to get crushed. I can't like by the time you've gone through the grueling thing of a seven game series, regardless of how many games it was, like, you, oh, I you mean. End up, he, not standing the other team. Easy. We got we got to be honest. I mean, this is this as a Celtics fan, this is like the the worst final. Worst, like, yeah, ever. Have. I mean, the only other thing worse for me would have been maybe if if Philly would have been in the final. Right. That would have yeah. worked. But beyond that, I mean, 
I mean, you got, I mean, you got LeBron on the Lakers. I don't like LeBron, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, AD. Uh, you got the Lakers, who are now about to win their 17th title. Yuck. They're about to tie <laughs> the Celtics at 17 title. And they're facing Pat Riley, who hates Danny Ainge's guts. They're about to face Pat Riley and the they're facing Pat Riley and the Miami Heat. Oh man, it's tough. Uh, who just beat us? Like you mentioned. So yeah, I, I'm not really. I have no rooting interest in this. I you know I'm really not plugged into the series <laughs> uh, from any sort of fan perspective. It's really just uh, just basketball analysis, basketball collecting basketball information. That's see what works, <laughs> what doesn't, what these teams, what these coaches do. The only guy I'm kind of rooting for. Is also screw Anthony Davis as well because he said screw the Celtics. That's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah. The only guy that I'm 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 semi rooting for is Eric Spolster. I like Eric Spolster's and his story. Um, I thought you were talking about. I thought you I thought you root for a hero. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know what he did to you guys, but I mean, you you've been the yeah, hero I'm guy. You said earlier in the show. Uh, nah, screw screw hero, man. Before him <laughs> in the finals. <laughs> That's true. For Tyler Hero and his heroics, we beat his Celtics would be in the final. No love for Rondo. No love for Rondo. Rondo, uh, not not as a Laker man. Like <laughs> Lakers can't win in any respect. Like yeah, I guess Rondo, but like we do need to get Rondo in the Hall of Fame, and I think that this could help. So. Yeah, sure. But, no, yeah, I think there's a five-game series. I think the Lakers have just too much firepower. Um, LeBron and AD, it's very clear. It's clear after one game that, yeah, they're, they're about, AD is about to get his first one. LeBron's about to get his fourth. Um, what I wanted to ask you, though, is that, like, or not as you ask you, but the point I wanted to bring up was that I feel like when we, when we look back at this championship, because they're going to win, when we look back at this championship, barring anything, obviously, I'm, for, I'm foreseen happening and then people replaying the tapes like, oh, what? You said this, the Lakers going to win before Anthony Davis uh, got a concussion and was out for the rest of the series? Um, but I feel like when we look back at this championship, like, people are going to kind of be like, well, yeah, LeBron, you know, he got another ring, but, you know, I don't think the bubble thing is going to be an asterisk, but I think the opponents will be i think i i thought he faced a tough ac in in portland but they had a ton of injuries mccollum lillard collins hood all the guys banged up or not playing and then in in the next round we face a rockets team that i guess people thought had a chance to beat them but westbrook just wasn't healthy he's coming off covid was not in rhythm as we've seen with kendrick nunn who's coming off covid not the same player um all the teams that we thought that could beat the Lakers before the season or before the bubble, Celtics, Bucks, Clippers, those were the primary three teams, choked. Just weren't yeah. – they didn't make it. They collapsed before, the, before they could even get to the Lakers. So there are going to be people that look at this and be like, yeah, I mean, this isn't LeBron's most impressive championship. Like, that's, point, that's the point I'm trying to make. This is not LeBron's most impressive championship by any stretch of the imagination. But we thought before the season and before the bubble that if LeBron were to win, it would be. Because he'd have to go through Kawhi, he'd have to go through Harden, Westbrook, which he did, but not in the way that we thought it would, it would, it would go. Uh, he had, he'd have to go through Tatum and Kemba or Giannis. We didn't think he'd have to face Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. We didn't think he'd have to face Jokic and Murray. 
no, and no disrespect to those groups because they all earned it. Those are all those are very good teams that played as hard as any team played in these post in in this postseason, but not the most talented teams in the league. Yeah, I mean, so the one thing I'll say on that is, I I know there are people saying that I don't feel that way. Um, look, I mean. I, I'm the kind of guy that says, look, man, whoever's out there and the teams you play, the teams you play. Like the championship, everybody has a similar crazy road there. And um, and, and, and to be fair, I, I've changed because I thought that, remember, way back I said that this championship is rigged or, like, tainted. I, I don't take any credit into whoever wins. And, you know, there's some people who may look at me as, like, a LeBron hater and think that, oh, well, I would have held that title. I actually don't feel that way. I feel the opposite. I feel more solidified that this is a real playoffs I don't know what it is, but I just guess, I guess, like, the the games felt way more authentic to me, I guess, than I, I thought they would. I thought the play wouldn't be as sharp. I thought the players wouldn't be as in good shape. And, you know, we did have injuries, but I guess it wasn't at the catastrophic kind that I thought we would have. So, and we didn't have anybody, would I, the major reason why I thought we'd have guys out for COVID. I thought we'd have guys, you know, star players gone for a month. So I just thought there was no way you can take this championship seriously. That didn't happen. So I feel I feel fine in terms of the legitimacy of the title. Um, because, look, like, we, we've used that argument for other players. You know, we've said, you know, how are we going to take away Steph's championships? Because, you know, Kyrie was hurt one year and LeBron played with a quote-unquote broken hand. Um, you know, and, and last year, you know, I know some people may say, oh, Kawhi, he won it because KD was out. I'm like, okay, yeah, but that's, th- that's basketball. Like, guys get hurt. You got to survive the injuries. And, um and do, look, do I agree that this isn't the, the the toughest road to LeBron's next championship? Yes, I do. I, I don't. There's some people trying to spin this out. Oh, this was actually really, really hard because of the bubble. Everybody had the same condition, so I can't say that it was more harder for you than anyone else. So just based on the team that he had to beat, absolutely, this is not one of the hardest. I think that um, obviously the Warriors one was the hardest, and I would argue probably the year when they beat OKC was probably the second hardest because I think having to beat. Uh, Boston. OKC, Boston, and Chicago, I think, in the same run. That's that that was hard. That was that wasn't easy. You know what I'm saying? So so that I give him more credit for. So and that was the first one, I think, right? Yeah. So you know, I, I, I don't prescribe that this is the hardest, but I don't think that this is like a weak championship. I think that these are the teams that kinda of, this is how it happened. And the Lakers I guess the reason also why is the Lakers just look so good right now that I don't think it matters who they really play. I think that's maybe what it comes down to. There are some people who look at it and say, oh, well, they would have played this team. Like, I don't, like, I just think that the notion that the Clippers would have beat this team just seems insane when people keep saying it. Now, I was one people, one of the people who thought that that was very possible. And I, I would have picked the Clippers if they would have played the Lakers in a seven-game series. But seeing how intact, how motivated LeBron is, how, um, just how much of a well-oiled machine they are, Compared to what the Clippers looked like, <laughs> I don't know how anyone could say the Clippers would have beat this team. I understand them. I, I agree. The matchups looked pretty decent, but just whatever you thought you were going to get from Paul George, you weren't getting that. <laughs> Spoiler alert: we, we we were not getting anything close to that. And it wasn't like this was some mismatch that was completely out of the realm of possibility for Lakers to win. So, I, I mean, to me, I guess I just look at it and say, look, the Lakers to me look like clearly the best team in the NBA, and whoever beats them. If anyone can, it's going to take a monumental upset. To me, I thought this Heat thing—I don't think I didn't think going in this would take a monumental upset, given everyone being healthy. 
I thought this was a closer series than people thought. A lot of people thought, I think. But man, Lakers are tough because two things that two biggest things I took away. One, the Lakers don't appear to be the kind of team you can zone, which is kind of surprising because, like you know, if you told me who who was a better shooting team, just off the top of my head, not thinking, who do you think shoots better, Celtics or Lakers? I would have said Celtics, like probably pretty easily, but. And, I, and that's where I, and I think I might have texted it to you or maybe tweeted it. I don't know if it's the Heat in Game 1 not playing with the kind of energy needed for a Game 1 NBA Finals. But it just seemed like the kind of shots that the Heat were getting, I mean, excuse me, the Lakers were getting and making in that zone, the Celtics either were afraid to shoot or weren't getting. Or, well, the, got, or when they shot it, they weren't going in. I've got two words for why the Celtics, why the, the Lakers are much tougher to zone than... Uh... Uh, the Celtics. It's basketball IQ. Mm. It's LeBron. Like That's you true. can't you can't zone a LeBron team. The Celtics didn't have the they they weren't and it's not I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a coaching thing. I don't know if it's a players thing or what. But just they they were rattled by the zone. LeBron's not that's a, no. That's a good point because to me LeBron he's almost like a cheat code because he he rarely makes mistakes in terms of you know, reading whatever, defenses. You know that thing's going to happen on the play before it happens. Right. So if you play a zone, it's even very, more predictable. Yeah, the only variable that, that really exists on LeBron plays, especially in the midst of, like, late in games, of course, things get tougher, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the only variable, whether or not, like, that guy in the corner that you leave open is going to make the shot. Make a shot. Know? Exactly. Like, but they, typically, Lakers, you know, LeBron teams are going to get good looks. Yeah, they're going to, he, as you know, the moniker about his game is his entire career since he was in high school is, is he's always makes the right play. Yeah. So, and a lot of times, playing his zone, it's always about making the right play. Yeah, just make ha- the right play. You kind of have to live with whatever the result is because you, you, you can always, almost you can almost always get a good shot against his zone if you run the right kind of offense and you make the right kind of reads. And LeBron always makes the right kind of reads. So, I, I do agree that's an excellent point. Um, and that's trouble for the Heat because I think that the Heat already had a lot of trouble matching up with them with size. And I'll tell you what, Kendall, the Lakers are one of the only three teams I watched in person this year. But I texted it to you and Dad. Their defensive length is is truly stunning when you get to like watch it in person. Like, yeah, they just look different than every other team that that they're facing now. I only saw the Clippers and the Knicks in that stretch that I was in Los Angeles, but they stuck out to me. And I kept thinking, Eric is talking about the Clippers are going to be a defensive team. But I said, yo, the Lakers' defense, one, they don't make a lot of mistakes, and two, they're so damn long. Like, it's just, there's not a lot of easy lanes, open shots. If you score on them, you earned it every time. And, you know, for the Heat, that they were such a great offensive team this year. And they just lit, they just lit it up against the Celtics. They just couldn't get any open shots. And they're a team that's going to need space. You know, Hero's going to need space, and Duncan Robinson's going to need space. Um, so that was the second thing that to me it was just defensively. My that was the biggest concern for me. Is that, I mean, are the Heat going to be able to score consistently? And then it, game one didn't look like it. You know, and if Drogas, I mean, he we know he is seriously hurt. So I mean, I don't. I, I think that this. Without him, because you need his drill penetration, like the 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 Nuggets showed, and, and even I think the the uh, Blazers showed in Spurs when Dame was able to play a little bit, that like 
if you have a guard that can just get to the get in the paint and like just cause havoc, that can make that can kind of mess up the defense because now the defense has to adjust, not just rather they have to help off, and that leaves guys open. Um, but not having that guy that can just get in the paint kind of cause havoc and create shots for everyone else, I just don't think you have a chance. And Drogba to me is the only guy that can do that. You know, none is like the equivalent of you know a pitcher who pitched great in the regular season and can't find the strike zone in the playoffs. He actually played really well in game one. So, I mean, maybe he's gotten out of whatever he's been going through, but you just feel like what he's going through is going to be tough to overcome. Yeah, like I said, he's got, he had COVID. So, yeah, exactly. You know, he, he, if that's not something where it's like, you know, he's just going to figure it out. <laughs> All of a sudden, you know, I mean. And he, I don't want to be throwing that guy out there and saying, after you decided to take him out of the rotation, which is, had to be a difficult decision. This guy was second in rookie year voting, and then say, "All right, next you're starting game two, and you're playing against the Lakers." Like, yeah. I would like to have seen him at least getting some more reps. Now, again, you have to feel good. The only, the only good thing that came out of that Heat game was that none played well. That's literally the only thing. Everything else was a disa- just a disaster. Not even just bad. Um, so you hope, okay, maybe he got in the rhythm, but man, that's a tough ass to be like, I'm taking you out of the rotation. And tomorrow, okay, you're starting against LeBron James and AD and these guys. That's 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 going to be tough. The Heat are really resilient. So, as you said, I think they deserve some respect. I'm not going to say completely that they just going to get mollywopped. But I have a lot of concerns about the Heat. The only, I guess the only thing, too, and that's the last thing on this would be, what I will say is I don't think the Heat played with the kind of energy and effort needed to compete in the NBA Finals. Like, Jimmy Butler kind of said that, and I agree with him. Um, he said they have to play damn near perfect to beat this team, and he's right, and they didn't play anywhere close to it, and I agree that's right. And sometimes perfect doesn't always also necessarily mean just, like, making shots. Perfect is being in the right position on defense. Perfect is making the cut at the right time. Perfect is making sure your pass, you know, is on target. Like, that's a perfect that's different than just whether you make or miss shots. The Heat didn't do any of that. They looked like a mess. Like, from the End of the first quarter to the beginning of the fourth, they just weren't executing anything. So I don't think that he can, even with those injuries, I think that he will play more disciplined basketball than they did in game one. So I, I, I got to me, before I can kind of like really def- define that this series is completely, utterly over and maybe a sweep, I want to see the Heat play a real game, if that's possible, I guess, before that. But they don't got a lot of time because, I mean, if they lose the next game, then we, Bam you know, and it could Drogic be over anyway. Too. So, what do you say? I said Bam and Dragic are doubtful for game two. So, I mean, that 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 I mean, it, it's, it's, it's oh. gonna be it's gonna be a tall order, man. It, even if they do play, they get those guys are gonna be no way they're one hundred percent. I mean, those guys. Well, are I mean, you can't bank on them playing. You got to hope that you can win game two without them, and then hope they come back for game. One yeah. of them comes back for game three. Oh, yeah, I don't see any way you beat the Lakers without Bam and Dragic. That's just unfortunate. I like. I really, I really wanted to see what this, how this series would have unfolded with all these guys healthy. Like, I really, like, I was from a you know basketball I mind. I was very curious. Like, and it sucks that we're not going to get that. <laughs> yeah, I know. So sad. You know, I really wish we would have seen the Celtics uh, fully healthy uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. I agree. I mean, I want to see everybody healthy. I want to see basketball <laughs> at its highest form. That's, that's how I feel. Uh, I don't man. disagree with that. So I'm sad. just saying, given. That this is the matchup. Like I would have, I didn't want to see you know Drogic blow out his foot in game one, 
and you know, you no, know, you know, bam, tear his shoulder. Like that's not what I wanted to see. Basketball periods, I wanted to see how do these teams match up? How is Eric supposed to adjust after getting mollywopped the way they did in game one? Now, like it, whatever adjustment he makes, it probably won't matter. That's unfortunate. Um, Kendall, Doc Rivers, he was fired, and now he has a job again. So this weekend, the Clippers announced some surprising news that longtime coach Doc Rivers would not return to the team this year. The move came, of course, after uh, kind of a little bit of like a week and a half or maybe two weeks after uh, the Clippers' historic collapse against the Nuggets in the Western Conference semifinals. Now we've learned today that Rivers has agreed to a five-year deal to coach the Sixers. So, Kendall, we talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago when I said that, to me, under normal circumstances, Doc would have been fired, but it didn't seem like they were going that way. So are you surprised that they made the move as late as they did? And then what do you think about his fit in Philly? Uh, see, I think the late, um, I think the 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 the, the late decision. I, I forgot who said this, where I heard them say it, but whoever said it, I'm sure maybe multiple people have said it. But because I was I was a little puzzled at that initially as well. But when someone put it together, pieced it together, it made sense. Bomber watched the Western Conference Finals and he saw the Lakers run through the Nuggets with basically no issue and was like, yeah, exactly. No excuse. We shouldn't have lost this team. And that's fair. You know, had the Nuggets taken the Lakers to seven games and, you know, had the Lakers, had the Lakers struggled with the Nuggets, maybe if the Nuggets beat the Lakers, I don't think Doc gets fired. But given the situation at hand, given the way the Lakers dominated them, I think Bomber realized, all right, yeah, we got to make a change. Um, I, I don't necessarily disagree. Uh, I, I I always ask the question: Is the grass always greener when I, when a team makes a move to fire a coach, um, especially one that's like successful that went to the playoffs? And typically, I like to look at well, what is how coveted will this job be? And when I look at the Clippers' job, I think it'll be fairly coveted. It's L.A. You're coaching two uh, high-profile players um, on a team with championship aspirations. I think it. I think it'll be coveted. I think it's a risk to go there because you're dealing with two players on one-year deals that you know you never know what they're gonna do and how they're gonna feel uh, basically every day. But we don't know what the free agency situation is gonna be gonna look like. They're both flight risks, so. That's the issue. That that's the issue. with obviously being the Clippers coach is that it's kind of a one year, you know, thing before you have to then stress about being being the Clippers again. So I don't know. Um, I think they can find someone better. I don't know who it is, but uh, in terms of Doc going to the to the Sixers, I like it for the Sixers. I think Doc is probably one of the better coaching free agents out there. Um, I like him better than D'Antoni. I like him much better than Ty Lue, so I I don't see why not. Um, I'm a little surprised that Doc valued the Clipper the back valued the Sixers job more than he did the uh, Pelicans. Um, I think the Pelicans job is the best job out there, and another reason why, like you know, like the Pelicans, I, I'm not. I, I the grass is is the grass greener mm-hmm. with Alvin Gentry. I would say so because Alvin Gentry, who's I think he's a good coach, the fine coach. I think you could find a much better coach to coach Zion and the plethora of Brandon Ingram and the plethora of young players that they have and will bring in. I feel like Doc, I mean, 
I feel like he, clearly this means that he's not invested in coaching for like another ten years. You know, like I, I think, don't know about that. I, I think, think I mean he signed yeah. a five year deal. He took a five year deal, and that that's the odd thing about it. But like I like is this a retirement job? You know, like that's what, that's what it looks like because I don't see, and it's not like the, this Philly team is ancient, but their their window is now. Like they want to win championships now, and. The Pelicans are four or five years away from competing for championships. Mm-hmm. So, uh, unless they make some drastic moves, so I, it's it's um I can see why like an older coach would rather have Philly than than New Orleans. Um, but I mean, you go to Philly, you go from a pressure cooker. Uh, if he thought what he what he was just in with a, with a pressure cooker, Philly is going to be a, an even tougher one. Because now you're the you're the team in the city. You're the only team in the city, city mm-hmm. that is rabid, that cares that about is, the team. Uh, very, very. Uh, I, I'll be nice. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll be nice and say they're uh, emotional um, <laughs> about the about about all of their sports teams, and that includes the Philadelphia Seventy Sixers. And you know he's dealing with it, uh, you know two star players that aren't the easiest to deal with. Not necessarily that they're uncoachable, but just. You know they have their warts, and it's it's going to be an awkward. It's going to be an awkward thing. Um, I think it's a good hire. He wants to bring Alvin Gentry in as an assistant. I think that gives you the best of both worlds when it comes to the D'Antoni thing, because now it's like, yeah, we didn't get D'Antoni. What's the offense going to look like? Well, now we bring in Alvin Gentry. So <laughs> if you like D'Antoni, you should like Alvin Gentry as well. So I don't know. I mean, the Sixers fan, I guess, should be excited. But um, if I'm Doc Rivers, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I think um, so. First, on the firing of Doc, I was a little surprised it came the time that it did. But I think to me, Ballmer strikes me as the kind of owner that really does kind of own with own. I know that's kind of a weird saying, but uh, I guess I'll complete it. He kind of he operates a team with his heart, and I don't think that he kind of just like does anything, just kind of like in a uniform kind of just, like, way in which every other NBA organization would do. Like, any or NBA organization, normal any organization, would have kind of sized up where they were in Game 7 and say, okay, if he loses this game, I'm finding me a new coach. Uh, I don't think Bomber wanted to fire Doc. I think he, he, he couldn't believe they lost and then really sat with the decision and kind of maybe talked to a lot of people and maybe talked and then talked to Doc. He says he did. And I think he kind of pained him, but I think he, he came to the conclusion that for whatever reason, well, we know for some reason they blew a 3-1 lead. Um, that partly was the reason why Doc was no longer the right man to coach the team. And in one sense, I kind of I kind of respect it. Like, because to me, you know, we talk about it all the time, Kendall. Like, if you don't really believe in your coach, don't go through free agency and your draft period. And all this stuff with this coach who has a lot of say in front office matters and then fire him midseason because you realize, no, it ain't working. I knew it wasn't going to work. And now you're stuck with whatever Doc being a large, a loud voice and a lot of really important decisions. And there are going to be a lot of important decisions for the Clippers this offseason. So I kind of even though it came late, I kind of respect it because I think that I think he kind of really thought about it. I I don't think that this is going to be the way to do this. I think we got to make a change. Um. And it's tough. I don't like to see another black coach not 
employed. You know, I didn't take joy when, you know, Toronto fired Dwayne Casey, but I fit, I thought it was the right move. Um, the, the I, didn't like the, I didn't like the hire, but then that turned out to be the brewing we, we move. Lost, we, we lost one, but then he went to a job that had a white coach, so. Again, <laughs> right, it was a net. It was a net. It was a net. Uh, zero. Honestly, it might be a net gain depending on who the Clippers hire. So, <laughs> um, so in this situation, I don't want to see Doc go, but I, I, you know, you get it, and you understand it. Um, and I've, I've already made my case. I know you don't like Tyloo. I think I think Tyloo should be the guy in Los LA, but we left. We had that argument a couple weeks ago. I was. I'll move on to the Sixers. Doc, I think it's funny because I didn't know about the Gentry thing and about him joining him there. But that kind of makes me like the hiring a little more. Because it makes it make sense. Yeah, it's because it, in one sense, I will say that I think Doc makes more sense for the roster that's presently constituted. But the, the roster that's currently constituted cannot move on forward. They got to make massive changes, I think. So, to me, when you, I hear Gentry, I say, okay, that tells me that changes are coming. Still, even with Doc involved. And the second thing about this team, this team also, it's funny because the team that Doc is leaving also kind of needs the same thing. But this team kind of also just needs like kind of like a spiritual leader. And I don't. That's kind of a black coach like trope. And I'm not. I'm not putting that on Doc necessarily. But they kind of just need the right temperament and the right kind of like leader leading them. I don't know if it's so much X's and O's. I agree. Brett Brown X's and O's made mistakes and strategy made mistakes. I think. He's passable as an X and O's kind of coach. I don't think he doesn't know basketball. There's so many coaches that you look and you say, yeah, this guy is over and you know, over his head in terms of game, in-game strategy, game-to-game strategy. Like Derek Fisher, for example, if I threw one name out there. Or Tim Floyd, you know? Like, I don't get that impression with Brett Brown. So I don't know how much game-to-game strategy, uh, in-game strategy that Brown is, if Doc is like a million times better. But I don't know if that's, that wasn't all their issues, is what I will say. I think a lot of their issues was being prepared to play, being professionals, and kind of just doing your job. Like the, the the Sixers for a team that right now I don't care how young they are, they're a veteran team. They didn't act like it last year. The way they played on the road against terrible teams, just not showing up, just not ready to play. To me, that wasn't an accident. Those thing. That wasn't something that Brett Brown, I think, could get out of them. That was a player thing. So my thing is, okay, I can't change all the players, but I'm going to change some of them. But, okay, how do I fix that aspect of it? It's like, well, bring in a guy who's way more respected and way more credible. And when he says, this is how we got to play, there's a better chance the players will believe in it and listen to him. Doc, I think, fits all of those boxes. It's Again, it's bizarre because he's leaving a place where he couldn't get it that, that aspect of the game done. And that's that's the thing about it. it the, the question becomes: Is Doc kind of overrated in that aspect? Um, I don't think he is. I just think he wore out his welcome, perhaps, with the Clippers. But and I think the Clippers may have some questionable characters. Quite frankly, I think some of the you know Embiid and Simmons, I think are while they are veterans, I think they are young enough to be impressionable to when Doc Rivers demands them to play a certain way and carry themselves a certain way as superstars and leaders that. It does hold some weight with them. Like I, I think Doc, those guys at the Clippers, some of those guys, Luke Williams played in the league 14, 15 years. Um, you know, Pat Beverly kind of goes to the beat of his own drum. Uh, you know, Mook Morris goes to the beat of his own drum. Paul George, you know, we know he had he admitted that he had issues during these these uh this bubble. I, I don't think Doc was able to reach those guys 
because of all of their kind of their their own personalities. I feel like the Sixers here have a better chance of doing that. So I, I like the hire. I think that it's a decent hire. If you told me you were firing Brett Brown and you ended with Doc Rivers, I think any Sixer fan before the bubble, after the bubble ended for them, would have signed up for that easy or right off the bat. So I can't really hate on the firing, the hiring of Doc. I think that it will. It's you never know how these things work out, but I feel like this could be a step in the right direction. You know, the problem becomes even if you do like the coach, what happens is the GM going to make better decisions. You know, because yeah. you know, shout out to Spike Eskin um, from ninety four WIP, and you know, writes to Ricky Sanchez podcast, and my former boss when I was interning at ninety four WIP. You know, he said you could like Doc, but the same guy that gave that signed Al Horford that gave Tobias one hundred fifty million that you know telegraph that he in his words you know telegraphed the, the drafting of Matisse Thybul and made you at the trade to make it happen. Like that's that that, that Ellen Brand's still there. He's still making all the decisions. So. Can Elton and Doc work together to put together a roster next year that makes more sense? Can he kind of get himself out of some of this mess that they've started? He, he's blasting Spike. Spike hasn't blasting him for the for the Elton Brand. I mean, not for the for the Matisse Thybul. I don't know. I thought uh, that was a good move. No, was, I think uh, I know. I think his his concern was that because they said it was very everyone knew Philly liked Thybul that they had to trade up to get him. That's that I think is what his point was you gotta ask him i don't know but i think i think his point was remember <laughs> he was diable was drafted by someone else and then they would he was traded yeah, so. right exactly i thought it was Celtics drafting him and you yeah. were kind of like uh and then he went to philly and it yeah. made more sense yeah i, wasn't I sure think but i but think I'm, but i think the point was that like they had to give out draft capital because they were too hot for diable which I, I mean the knicks may have screwed themselves out of steph curry to some people <laughs> like like they yeah. talked about Steph Curry nonstop. It was very clear who was gonna be drafted at eight. And I don't know, I mean, you know, Curry is a Hall of Fame talent. I'm not gonna say there's no way Golden State would have taken him, but it did kind of put them in a tough position, um, where if he you know, if he didn't fall there, who else were you gonna get? Yeah, you get held hostage. Um and yeah, so either you gotta trade the moon <laughs> to get the guy you got or you gotta just settle for whoever comes after him. Man. Man, I wish the Knicks would have just given up the farm in that in that in that particular situation. All those <laughs> situations they've given up the farm in, including Carmelo Anthony, I would give it all back if it meant that they gave up the farm for that one move that would have made them move up one or two more spots just to snap nab uh, Curry. Anyway, Kendall, um, let's go real quickly. The last two stories here. So uh, the first sixteen game and will be postseason is underway. And we've already seen some fireworks, including a Yankees comeback to close out the Indians in a marathon five-hour game that ended Wednesday night. Twins extending their now historic playoff postseason losing streak, I believe, to 16 games, which I just couldn't believe when I read that. Like, I know it, it felt like a long time since I'd seen them win a postseason game. I did not think they lost 16 in a row. But apparently that's the number. And maybe I'm wrong. Mean? No, the, the, the Twins. Oh, the Minnesota Twins. Okay. Yeah. Um, they haven't. They've lost like 16 straight postseason games. Yes, and this this comes after getting bounced by the uh, villainous Houston Astros, and the Braves advanced uh, advanced in a postseason for the first time since the early years of the millennium. Which also yeah. I didn't know. Did you see this uh, this clown uh, Carlos Correa? Yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. He's he's trying to he's trying to like live. He, 
Yeah, that was, I, I mean, you call him a clown, and he's doing clownish things. I, I can't. I, mean, I try to be nice here, but that, that was some clownish statements he made. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I, we won on the road again against a team. We sweat. We swept them on the road. It's like your team's like five hundred, my guy. <laughs> it, like, wasn't that the point? <laughs> that you guys aren't the best team in the league anymore. Shock. Right. I'm glad you beat the 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 team that hasn't won a postseason game in a in a century. I'm glad you beat them in two straight games on the road. Congrats, man. Like, I don't know. I mean, look, and I like all the, the Twins haven't won a postseason game since Billy Hayward was coaching them. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't hear Carlos Correa talking about. Jokes. <laughs> I don't hear Carlos Correa talking about beating the Twins in the postseason. Yeah. And man. now, you so know, and nobody, want, nobody wanted us here. He's talking about nobody wanted us here. Man. Getting a, getting a postseason win. How long has it been? Been since uh, Miguel Cabrera was there. I know, yes. Yeah. I mean, I hate the Marlins, but nonetheless, you know, they they they're playing some ball. I gotta give them, gotta give them, gotta give them credit. You know, yeah. Um, they, you know, shout out to Derek Jeter. You know, I wanted to give him the shout out because we in the sports media have given him a lot of crap since. Yeah, he's been, he's been barbecued. Yeah, since he since he basically since he got the team. We people have just been clowning Derek Jeter about how bad he is, and maybe it's maybe it's it, it was justified. Like, but I mean, when you look at where this team is at now, I mean, he just took the approach that honestly is the smart approach in baseball: be yeah. really be as bad as possible so that you can be competitive three, four years later. Yeah, and you know, obviously, he did it in a way that was kind of. It, it 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 was it was slimy. Yeah, because they said they weren't going to do it this way. Right. <laughs> that was the issue. It was the like you said you weren't going to do it this way because we've got undergone this now three different times, and you're doing the same thing. But yeah, I mean, this kid uh, Sixto Sanchez is really good as well. Yep. I mean, we talk about a flamethrower. Um, besides Degrom. I believe had the fastest. I believe he had the fastest fastball in the league. Degrom and then this kid from the from the White Sox who's who's drafted this year. <laughs> was yeah, he's pitching today. Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. that was crazy. This guy was was wasn't a, a he wasn't a, a professional baseball player. <laughs> Not yeah, even exactly. like, he's pitching in a full season. He was out there taking uh, BP in Omaha a couple months ago. It's crazy. Now, Throw BP and now now he's pitching in the playoffs. You know, like, yeah, I mean it's crazy, but yeah, I mean that kid throws like a hundred. But besides him, you've got Degrom and then Sixto Sanchez. So yeah, no, the Marlins. Uh, I think the Marlins could be pretty dangerous. I mean, we'll see how this Cup series unfolds. But um, the White Sox clearly didn't have the uh, the experience or the pitching. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they pretty much choked that series against Oakland. They choked Game Three. Um, and you know, shout out to Oakland for having that veteran Moxie. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Oakland, yeah, Oakland. Yeah, Oakland is. I mean, I don't you know the injury, the Chapman. You know, it's I can't see them winning at all. But they're just like they're 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 the real deal. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, some teams just know kind of how to carry themselves in these big games, must win games. They have the right Moxie, the right kind of uh, temperament. And Oakland series. 
Oakland, they're going to be a team that's going to be a championship kind of contender for the next two, at least two to three years, probably. Like, that's that's how they look to me. You know, regardless of injuries, yeah. that's, that's kind of just how they how they comport themselves. Yeah, you know, this playoff format, it definitely, coming into it, definitely felt like when I was following, because I had been plugged out of baseball pretty much until the last week or two of the season when I realized the Giants were in the, the pennant yeah, had a shot. Or in the, the wild card race. And then I was really locked in. Plus, the Celtics were embarrassing themselves against Miami. So I was uh, more locked in. <laughs> Maybe I uh, also do want to talk about a tough day, man. Uh, the the Giants and the Celtics got eliminated from got eliminated on the same day. That was tough. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, yeah, this um, this postseason has definitely felt like you know uh, who's not in it rather than who is in it. Because it feels like every team in the league's in it. Even though it's only 16. <laughs> you know, I'm so used to there not being that many teams in the postseason. So now it's like, it's like, man, this team made it? I mean, when the Giants were in the conversation, I was like, wow. We haven't even played well. Um, I mean, the Brewers, like, the Brewers and Cardinals played each other in the last series of the, of the season in the NL. And I thought that was the series to see which one of them get, was getting in. And they both got in. I'm like, these teams aren't even good. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a little bit of a, uh, you know, participation trophy. But I don't think people, like, people typically aren't against playoff expansion. You know, like, they may be against They're never against it. They're only against it until it happens. Yeah, exactly. But once it happens, you're just like, oh, more games. Yeah, because I was against this. But, like, well, I I was against it in theory. I kind of, I got it this year. But like before right. the season, I never would have really. I never liked it. I never liked the idea of it. Now, man, give give me give me sixteen teams. I'm fine with this. This is way more fun. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it's way more fun. More teams involved. Um, and I kind of like the best two out of three kind of deal because to me it's real baseball still. Yeah. Because like I hate yeah. you know I me. Mean? I hate the one game wild card because to me that's not real baseball. Like no. baseball is not decided by like one game. Like you. Ha- the point of baseball is to build a team good enough to win multiple games to show, show that you're better. So I think the one game wild card is ridiculous because the team yes. that just, you know, for one day I may have a pitcher who's lights out and great. And therefore I may be better than your team that one day. I don't think that determines who should be, who should have the right to play for a world series moving forward. But this, I totally like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, you know, it's very college baseball feel. Yeah. Very college World series feel. Yeah, to keep this, I'm cool with it, and you know, I don't know, I don't think, I don't know if they will. We'll see what happens, but uh, this has been fun. Like having these games on all day, and you know, there's <laughs> so much energy. Keeping something that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but there's, there's games on all day. There's a really, there's a lot of excitement like everywhere around the league. Like you know, I follow that's a million baseball writers, and to see like so many of them like tweeting about big games today was like in the last two days have been really fun. And I'm just not used to that. Baseball fans dream, and it's like, yeah, you know, this is the best thing for the sport in terms of from a publicity standpoint. Like, you know, when you only have you know eight teams out there or ten teams playing, it becomes very centralized. But when mm-hmm. you have half the league, uh, more than half the league, you know, represented in the postseason, now you've got every fan base energized, and then not it's not just half the league, but then you've got you know fans like me and you whose teams were on the periphery that were also kind of locked in because you want to see how that wild card race is going to shape up. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, you get pretty much every fan base outside of Detroit 
um, and Boston <laughs> engaged. <laughs> um, sorry, Detroit and Boston. Shout out. Look, Casey Mize, number one pick from a couple years ago. That kid is going to be a stud. Um, so Detroit almost threw a no-hitter uh, this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Brady Singer, another pitcher uh, from the Kansas City Royals, threw a no-hitter um a couple of weeks ago, I believe it was, no, it wasn't a no hitter. Well, I think, I think it was a, it might've been a no hitter. I think he had a no hitter up until like, I forget what happened, but he, I think he threw a complete game shutout, almost no hitter. Uh, he was also in that draft and it's just crazy. Cause these guys are like rookies that really shouldn't even be out there, uh, throwing almost no hitters in like their rookie seasons. It's pretty crazy. But, um, but yeah, the, the Royals will be fine. The, the Orioles, not so much, but we'll see. Um, real quickly, kind of wrap the show here. I, uh, you know, we're heading into week four of the NFL season and, and just yep. p- this past week we had a, a, what was a gargantuan big time matchup, Monday Night Football. Couldn't ask for bigger star power. You had the Ravens. Oh, and the, that, was really. F- that was a Monday Night Football game. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the Ravens, led by Lamar Jackson. Anyway, uh, one night football. Yeah, the the, the Ravens led, of course, by league MVP Lamar Jackson against uh, reigning Super Bowl MVP and the reigning Super Bowl champs, uh, the Chiefs and and Patrick Mahomes. And you know, I think the, a lot of the conversation going into the game was about you know you know these two really young quarterbacks set up on teams that look like they should be really good for long periods of time. It's just the makings of a long-standing rivalry, maybe similar to what we've seen seen with Peyton Manning and Tom Brady. Exactly. But the one interesting thing that's kind of coming out of that game is, you know, kind of similar to how we looked at Brady and Manning in the beginning. It's been very one-sided. You know, Lamar struggled. I mean, to be honest, he struggled in that game. I don't think he played well. Uh, He was, all the numbers were very pedestrian. It seemed like the Chiefs were able to, they were able to kind of contain his running game. And I thought his receivers were loud. They had a lot of drops too, but he, he's, they just did, weren't able to really generate a lot of big plays throughout the entire game. Meanwhile, Patrick Mahomes was just lighting it up. And it was kind of crazy that, you know, I think it was his wife, you know, because he did the one, two, three, four. People thought he was counting the touchdowns, but then she was like, you know, we're counting how many, the, why they ranked him number four coming into the season in terms of best players in the NFL, which, you know, I don't think that's what he was doing, but I do think that's interesting that that's in. His orbit, that idea, you know, it's kind of it's very LeBron like to me to have that be something that comes out of uh, his thought process in regards to you know where he ranks amongst the best in the NFL. What do you feel about how this rivalry is shaking out? Where you have Lamar zero and three, you know, I thought last year he played really well against the Chiefs, but typically these games haven't really gone his way. Is there th- this huge gap between him and Mahomes? that the, the record suggests, or do you think there's something more happening? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think there is a gap. Um, it's not to say that Lamar Jackson isn't an elite quarterback, because I think he is. Um, but I think we're talking about tiers of quarterbacks. I don't think Lamar Jackson is in the same tier as Patrick Mahomes. I, I mean, there aren't many guys that are, if there is. You know, I would say, I mean, Rodgers, when he's on, when he's and he's locked in and when he looks locked in this season, um, maybe on that tier and Russell Wilson's pretty close if he's not there. 
Uh, but I, I would say Lamar Jackson, and maybe this is a prisoner of the moment, one game, but I would say Lamar Jackson is a, a tier below. Um, Still top five in the league. But, I mean, we're talking about Patrick Mahomes. That's the thing about Lamar Jackson that we – the one thing about Lamar Jackson that we look at and we – we talk about weaknesses and people talk about his ability to throw the football and it is what it is. That's not stopping them from being 13 and three or 14 and two. Um, but it's the, but what's stopping him with that ability to throw the football is when they get down, when they get down double digits in a football game, Lamar Jackson hasn't won as a, a, a football game. And that is, it's not, it hasn't been many times because they haven't lost many times. Anytime they've gotten up double digits, he's never lost. And that's not for me to say that he's a front runner, but he's got a little bit. I, I don't, I, I, I don't know who said this. I, it might've been Nick Wright. I'll, I'll give Nick Wright the credit. I don't know if it was him, but if it was credit to him, he, he compared him to Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I thought that was an excellent apt comparison. When you're talking about a player that, you don't want when your team's down 15, when your team's down 10 in a playoff series. But uh, when you're talking about the regular season and you're, you know, you're playing, you know, a lot of bad teams and you're just trying, you're up and you're just trying to kind of keep the lead. I don't think there's another player in the league you'd rather have than Lamar Jackson. So I think that that is the, that's the best way to look at it. But Patrick Mahomes is a guy that can win you games uh, even when you're down 15, 14, 21. Um, so I, I think Mahomes is at another level. I think Mahomes is on another level. Uh, I think Lamar still has a way to go, got, has a little bit to go as, as a passer. Um, he just misses guys too many times. And I don't think it's it's not an incapability. It's just a consistency thing. It's similar to Cam Newton. Um, I think Josh Allen still has it. Um and I don't think it really hinders Lamar from being a great quarterback. I think it just hinders him from being uh, a perfect quarterback. And, I mean, there aren't many out there. Mahomes is pretty close. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, do I think there's a gap between him and Mahomes? Yes. Mahomes has a Super Bowl ring, and Lamar has not won a playoff game. Um, so that, that suggests, yes, of course there's a gap. I don't think it's a gap that like can't that Lamar can't fill or he can't uh, live up to eventually, but you know as the saying goes, there's levels to this. You know what I'm saying, and that's kind of how I look at this matchup right now. You know, Mahomes, he's as dynamic as Lamar is, and especially with like the play calling and the weapons they have, it's just he's just more dynamic. Of a challenge of a, of a of a challenge to me, than Lamar is. If you're able to kind of keep him in the pocket and keep them in, you know, out of you know short down short yardage situations, Lamar is a top flight elite quarterback. So it's not a diss to him, but you know, again, Mahomes is who he is for a reason. He threw 50 touchdowns his first year starting for a reason. He won a Super Bowl. The second season for, for a reason, you know, all, you know, all three games in the postseason, they were behind. Like, he's a special cat. And I think he showed it on Monday night. It's not a, it's not, you know, a detriment to, detriment to the Lamar. But I think sometimes with Lamar Jackson, we got to remind ourselves how young he is. You know, 
Mahomes, in many ways, is like, you know, he's a phenom. And I think that's that's fair. And Lamar, in some ways, is a phenom too. But, like, it's it's just a, it's different. And Lamar is still an incredibly young quarterback. He's only 23 years old. So yes. there's still – and, you know, the fact that he's accomplished what he's accomplished as a 23-year-old quarterback in year three, you know, second year in the league, won the MVP. His team won 13 games, 14 games. Like – he he's on well on his way to being a, a great player in this league, but when you consider his age, he's still got a lot of growing to do. And I think that sometimes in these big games, uh, there's a certain there's just a certain level that you need to play at, and a certain um, sharpness that's needed when you're playing against like a team that's a Super Bowl champion, like the Chiefs. For a 22 year old kid who's still trying to figure it out, I think he still has a little ways to go. Will he get there? Yes, I think he will. I think Lamar Jackson win the Super Bowl. He'll lead. He's you know he's a, he's a world class athlete. But yeah, right now this rivalry is a little lopsided. But to me, I I also want to see the Ravens. If it's not this season, soon I want to see them though go out and get a true like number one receiver because I think anytime I talk about well that guy, even Antonio Brown. Oh, you're saying they should go at throw Tony Brown. I mean, maybe. I don't know. I just feel like with Lamar Jackson, every kind of criticism I, I could have of him as a passer is still always tainted with, yeah, but look who he's throwing to. And it's not like he doesn't have good players. But I know. Mean, I, I don't. I don't and, and I look, and um, Mark Andrews is a stud as a tight end. He didn't have a good Monday night. But I, I can't credibly really kind of like critique you're passing number one when you had a, you know you've been throwing the ball at sixty eight percent as a completion percentage and you threw for thirty six like, touchdowns. But like if that's your best receiver, like you're not like gonna Patrick be a team Mahomes, that's gonna dominate teams through the air. It's just it's just not gonna happen. Right, but but Pat Mahomes doesn't have he doesn't have Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne. But Tyreek Tyreek Hill is Tyreek Hill is a, a burner, game he's a game changing type of pass catcher. He he changes the whole dynamic of the game in terms of how you how you have to cover how you yeah. how you cover them how you how you prepare like yeah. he's he's a super unique player and he's not the number one receiver in like the traditional sense but he's a star receiver like I don't know right. whatever you want to call him he's a star receiver he caught for almost fifteen hundred yards last year LeBron don't got that guy and I, he had a guy that good I would say I would say okay that's different. But he doesn't even have a guy that good, so that's where I say I need to see, I, I need to see the Ravens get that guy for him. You know, if it's not going to be a pure number one, you're not going to get a New Hopkins or a Michael Thomas. Uh, I'm not saying that those guys, of course, are available. I'm just throwing out kind of names that the caliber kind of guys are talking about, or Devontae Adams. Okay, well, get me somebody who's really good. <laughs> you know, somebody who does really transform how you have to cover them defensively as a team. They don't have anybody on the, on the, on the outside that does that. Hollywood Brown's when fast, Hollywood, but he's not Tyree Kill. Hollywood got open on a couple of those deep throws. That's true. On a couple of those, and Lamar missed him. And it's yeah. like, and Lamar, credit to himself, like would say, "My bad." You can say, "My bad," but like you lost. Eventually, you got to start making those throws. Yeah, yeah. If you want to win, you know, you gotta, you'll make the throws. Throw. You know, and Mahomes makes those plays. So it's not me saying Lamar the bum, but I'm just saying like yes, he gotta get more. He gotta get more weapons. I think again, I think you're one weapon away. I think it could be someone like AB. Um, if it's not AB, then I mean you have to draft someone else. 
Um, this draft is very deep at receiver, uh, but it's also very like top heavy in terms of like yeah, it's deep if you're trying to draft in the top 15, but <laughs> I don't know if any of the top guys are going to be available for the Ravens. That's why to um, me, like it needs to be a trade. You know, I look at, you know, we know, we know Alan Robinson's not happy in Chicago. You know, Alan Robinson would be interesting. Yeah. You know, do he's the kind of player, like, again, yeah, I'm not saying you got to get the elite, elite guy, but there are plenty of top notch pass catchers that can be had via the trade market. You know what it is? It's, it's because their team is so predicated mm-hmm. on the run game. Yeah, yeah they they're feel defense like, first, run game. Yeah, exactly. We don't need receivers, but you all you need receivers when you're down 14 against Kansas City in the second half. Right, round. exactly. You can't rely on Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. In a weird way, they're kind of like a they kind of like a, a, a they're a wealthy man's Tennessee Titans in some ways. Like, similar, yeah. Like the yeah. way like they the way they win is kind of similar. Like they have more big game like. Big play ability because Lamar is so electrifying, but at the end of the day, it's still never going to be Lamar dropping back forty times to throw. You know that's not how they're going to play. It's him throwing maybe twenty-five to thirty times most tops, and it's a lot of running the football, which is just how the Titans play, if not less throws. So that style of play in this NFL is just it does limit you in some to some degree. You could be amazing, but. At the end of the day, you know, it's kind of like what we saw in the Super Bowl. Like, yes, in theory, like, the, the 49ers should be the kind of team that could hold a lead. But also, like, the 49ers weren't the kind of team that when they had a lead, they could sustain enough drives to put their foot on, you know, I know it's the second week in a row I'm doing the foot on the neck euphemism. But, like, the foot like on the pedal, EJ. Put, them, put them away. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like the fact that you can't, that, that they don't have that ability because of how they play. And I'm saying against the great teams. The bad teams, of course they can do that. The Ravens could put away the bad teams easy. Or even the average teams. I'm talking about the Chiefs, the Seahawks, like the the best of the best. When they play playoff kind of games. Which is the problems we've seen with Lamar. When you're playing against those teams, that's when it gets a little tricky. That's where that's where they're, they're still um, they're still a work in progress, though. Like That's kind of why I like the Ravens. Like We kind of go crazy about every time they lose a big game and we question Lamar. But it's just like... This is a really young team. Like they're still figuring it out. Like the fact that they're still this dominant for most part is impressive. I know I want to see if they're able to keep this going. And um, you know they just signed Marlon Humphrey to a, a near hundred million dollar contract. You know finally you got Alabama corner that worked out because <laughs> man yeah. a lot of them took a while before one of them did. And Jets took took a fly on a couple I think <laughs> at least one <laughs> with D Milner. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so so you know, I think Lamar will be okay. But yeah, I mean, you no, know, Pat Pat Mahomes, man, he's he's a different level, man. He's so good, and what I, what I love to see in that game, that to me felt like Brady, like like big game on the road against the guy that you know everyone's talking about as league MVP. You know, show him who's the champion. <laughs> you know, the champions here. So to see him kind of put on that show that he did, uh, let's see that was impressive. Did. And let's see what they, yeah, because they got another. Mm-hmm. Big game with the New England Patriots, exactly. And Mahomes hasn't beaten Belichick yet, so. No. So that'll be fun. We'll, we'll see. And, you know, look, this is a game that, uh, you know, like, this is a little bit of a trap game. So. Yeah. We'll see how ready they are for New England. Um, 
Yeah, Mahomes is special. EJ, you telling me that Spencer Rattler is not as good as isn't the next Mahomes? Uh, no. I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, he, didn't, he didn't look good. He didn't look good this week. This week is a rough week. K State. Joel Clatt. <laughs> yeah, that was. I didn't even know that was being said. That was being said about young Spencer oh, yeah. Rattler. Come on, man. Yeah, man. Hey, look, it's not, it's not a diss on Spencer Rattler. No, but be, come on. It'll be the number one thing to draft when he ends up coming out. But I mean, we're catching Mahomes, and we got to calm down, man. Well, it just the the it's funny because we you know we we have a YouTube series where we, all we do is compare players, and just like it's always like the the thing to always the just run to comparing them to the greatest player at the position right now. Like it's well, like yeah. yo, there are yeah. a lot of other really good quarterbacks that you could say this guy reminds you of. That isn't the guy who threw fifty touchdowns his first year start. Yeah, you, you, and it's funny you do that. You say that, EJ, because I always think about we think about player comps when it comes to basketball and football, and like especially when we've done that video, when we've done that video series, we've gone through comparisons. You find that like there are pretty much there's a comparison for everybody, of and course. it's not it's 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 almost never. It never, it almost never has to be. Typically, it's multiple, multiple experiences. Yeah. It almost never has to be one of the, <laughs> one of the fifty best players ever. Yeah, exactly. You know, it almost, it doesn't have to be a pro bowler or an all pro player. It can yeah. be because a lot of these guys like, that were in a lot, almost everybody is in the NFL and the NBA. They were great college players. When when we did our video on the twenty, the twenty nineteen NFL draft class of quarterbacks. And I talked about uh, Drew Locke. I did mention the name of Holmes, which was that was before he won a Super Bowl. But I didn't mention the name of Holmes. But I also threw out. But he's probably also more Jay Cutler. Right. You know what I mean? Like some of may look at that and say, "Oh, Jay Cutler, like that's a that's a bad comparison." It's like, "Yo, Jay Cutler went to a Pro Bowl and like played ten years in the NFL." Yeah, yeah exactly. There's nothing wrong with being Jay Cutler and being right. a first round pick. That's a that's a I mean, second round pick. Drew Locke's case. There's nothing wrong with that. That's that's probably where he should be, but again, these people they want to they they see a guy with a strong arm they think Brett Favre is the first guy to go to, and now it's Patrick Mahomes, and it's it, it, we got to slow down with those man. Yeah, but it's also the same thing of like the guy looks kind of like the guy, so we're gonna do that. Yeah, the too. guy that looks like the guy. Yeah, so you know you got the light skinned guy playing quarterback, so <laughs> comparing to the light skinned guy playing quarterback who's the best right now is you know we guys not doing that. That's another bad thing. Um. This was a fun show. I I had fun. I hope you guys had fun listening. Um, of course, you can catch all of our podcasts on New Generation Podcast Network. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Also, be sure to check out our um, YouTube channel, New Generation Media. Make sure you follow us on social media. And by the way, on that YouTube channel, once again, we're continuing our draft coverage, um, our virtual NBA draft war room. Two divisions down, the Atlantic Division and the, and the Southeast Division. It's already up there. The Central Division will be coming out moment uh, soon. So that will be coming up soon. So make sure you keep locked in there. Again, you can sus- subscribe to our channel. It's called New Generation Media. Also, make sure you follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, New Generation Pod. Instagram, New Generation Podcast. And um, Facebook, New Generation Media. Follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, EJ underscore Stewart. And Instagram, Action EJ. Thank you guys so much for listening in. For Kendall, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.